This is Mona Tanja, president of NCSM, and welcome to Learning with Leaders, the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. Join me as I sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders exploring equity in action. You will hear from bold mathematics leaders as they share their experiences and actions and what they have learned from them. We think these next few minutes will help you consider the bold actions that you can take to focus on equity and support those that you serve. Grab a warm cup of coffee and a journal as we learn together on our mathematics leadership journey. Hello, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders, the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. John Sangiovanni and I are excited about the upcoming Bold Leadership Conversation. For the podcast in January through April, we have invited the featured speakers that are presenting at the NCSM Bold Leadership Summit, Mathematics Leadership, Engaging in the Essential Actions to sit down with us and discuss what equity means to them and provide us a quick preview of the new learning that we will experience in April. Our guest today is Mike Flynn, and he is the Director of Mathematics Leadership Programs at Mount Holyoke College, where he runs the Master of Arts in Teaching Mathematics program and leads a wide variety of professional learning opportunities for teachers and teacher leaders in all different roles. He is also the author of Beyond Answers, Exploring Mathematical Practices with Young Children. And Mike is also a former second grade teacher in Southampton, Massachusetts for 14 years, where he was named the Massachusetts, Massachusetts Teacher of the Year in 2008. I can't say that fast. And it was also the recipient of the Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics Teaching in 2010. Personally, I have watched several of his videos this past spring and summer to help with providing stellar professional learning in a remote setting. Um, he's just awesome to learn from and he's so willing to share his expertise with others and we are so grateful that you are here today with us. So let's give him a warm welcome to Mike Flynn. Thank you very much. Hi Mike, welcome. Really glad to have you. Uh, I know you're an all around great guy and I want to just say thank you for all that you do for mathematics education. Um, it is much appreciated. And frankly, today, I'm just really excited to, to hear what you have to say about advocacy um, and, and uh, learn about uh, a little bit more about your session. And um, again, welcome. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, so I, we're going to ask this question of all of our um, speakers. So the first one is, what does equity in mathematics education mean to you? That's a great question. I think is there, there's so many facets of equity. And I think Personally, when I first when I hear equity in mathematics education, I, I first think about just math as being sort of the the gatekeeper subject in some ways. Like I feel like uh, for so many students, when we think about career options in uh, in the world, uh, math is often one of the the prerequisites to go into certain career pathways. And so, in a lot of ways, uh, a student's success uh, or lack of success in math can open or close doors to them. And so, when I think about equity in mathematics education, I think about uh, allowing all students to have equal access to high quality enriching math experiences so that they can have the same kinds of outcomes and being successful in math. And that's something that we all need to be advocating for to make sure that each and every student has uh, the ability uh, to have some enriching math experiences, to have access to high quality tasks, uh, great math teachers who are knowledgeable, not just about the, the subject matter, but also on how students learn and, uh, and teachers who are also knowledgeable about the individual differences of their students. So it also means when we think about equity is, is uh, teaching in a way that where we see each student uh, their their backgrounds, their experiences, their cultures, their language, all of the elements that they bring 
to the classroom, uh, that when we teach in a way that values all of those differences and provides opportunities to authentically include them and celebrate them within a math classroom, um, all of that shapes what I consider good equitable mathematics teaching. And I think that's something that's definitely worth advocating for and, and certainly a big component of the session I'll be uh, leading for the summit. Yeah, so Mike, as you were talking, you know, this equity issue is such an important topic, a critical topic, and you made me think about um, advocacy in general and how do we advocate for, for equitable mathematics, for access to high quality tasks and so, so, so much more. Um, but one thing I want to ask you about relative to advocacy, excuse me, is um, what, what is something that you think is misunderstood about advocacy? So I think one thing that happens when, when a lot of people hear advocacy, there's a couple of things that come to mind. So, sometimes people think about it as like what unions do or sort of at the national or policy level. So advocacy in education is seen as sort of something that the, the movers and shakers, the, the sort of agitators of the, the profession do at the state and national level. And, and so I think that although that does happen, that's one form of advocacy, advocacy in its core is really about influence and action at any level. And so it could be you talking to a colleague next door and encouraging them to think about doing number talks in their class, for instance, and giving them some supporting resources to help them with that and uh, listen to their concerns about cutting out time to build in number talks and then helping them to figure out a way that they could weave it in. Um, all of those actions that you do in, those, in that little collegial interaction is a form of advocacy. You're advocating for this shift in their math teaching practice and, uh, and you're doing it in a very micro level. And, and so advocacy is not something that's situated just at this major massive level. And it's also not, sometimes all people will think about advocacy from the special education standpoint, which is also a great place where we see really good educational advocacy. But there's that, um, when, you, when you think about people who are paid as advocates to support parents through the IEP process, um, I think sometimes people conflate that kind of advocacy versus yeah. like um, advocating change within a system in any discipline in education. So I think those are some misunderstandings that people have. But I think what I hope to do is help people see themselves, everybody as an advocate in some form or another, and also to give people a lens into the different ways in which they could flex their advocacy muscles in a way, and maybe even think about places where they may stretch in and try to expand on their uh, their advocacy into different levels. And Mike, I like your definition of advocacy. One of the, I mean, advocacy, advocate is one of the guiding principles of the, uh, the framework for leadership in mathematics education. And that's the session that you'll be really tackling at the Bold Leadership Summit. One thing that always, when I was a classroom teacher, I always felt like I really didn't have that sphere of influence, right? And I think when we talk about advocacy, we have to think about who is in our sphere of influence and how do we, you know, how do we advocate for, for the change we need to see in our classrooms, the change we need to see in our systems, you know, cause it could be one conversation with a principal that makes a world of difference in, in, in mathematics, you know, the program or the system. So in terms of that, you know, thinking about like the advocacy piece, you know, what, what are some of the big ideas that you're going to be discussing or sharing with us that, you know, we can look forward to or kind of read up on to, to yeah. get started with the process? 
Yeah, I'm going to give you all a bunch of pre-reading assignments if you want. So Okay, there I, we I go. Stand, as you know, if you've ever watched any of my other pre presentations, I, I like to read uh, not just education books, but books outside of education that relate that have that I can tie to education. I think sometimes we can learn a lot from people who are outside our field because mm -hmm. there's particularly in the areas of psychology because it's there's so much great research being done on change and on um, belief systems and on uh, advocacy that we can we can draw upon some of these outside resources and think about how we can use those um, those experts' knowledge to help us think about how we advocate for educational change. But um, to start, I think one of the things I do want to address is the knowledge and skills and dispositions that are needed for each of the levels of advocacy. So I think helping people to see advocacy at the micro level, which also you can think of as the individual level, helping people like individuals. Um, there's the mezzo level, which is sort of groups. How do you how you advocate for groups, uh, whether it's a, a group of teachers, a group of coaches, a group of parents, um, community members, stakeholders, however you want to define your groups. And then there's the macro level, which is the systems level. And each level does require different uh, skills and, and dispositions. And so part of uh, the session will be to help people to understand uh, those differences and what's needed um, at each of them to, to really be a successful advocate at those levels. Uh, the other thing I'd like to think about are different models of advocacy. Uh, one in particular I've been really interested in comes from Harvard University. It's uh, Dr. Julie uh, Badalana and uh, Dr. Marissa Kimsey. Uh, have this idea of thinking of these three, three sort of um, play, uh, what are, what's the word I'm looking for? Players, I guess, would be the best way to describe it, um, that work in conjunction uh, to support any kind of advocacy initiative. And that is uh, one role is the agitator. And this is the person that, or people that sort of raise the issue, get it out onto the front lines, get it on the agendas, get it on the, um, the, the principal's desk or the superintendent's desk. They're the ones that sort of shine the light on the issue that's uh, affecting a group or to um, many groups or people, whatever, however we want to describe that. Uh, there's also innovators in this model, and the innovators are the ones that, that come up with the solutions, the actionable things that we can do to support this change. And, and, and then the other, the other player in this model is the orchestrator, and the orchestrator basically puts these things into action to work at all levels of the system. And so the, what I like about this model is when we think about it, about it different people have different comforts with these roles. So there are some people who like to shake things up. They, they see themselves as an agitator, uh, which is really good. But if we only have agitators, uh, basically what you get is just a bunch of complaining, right? You get people who will name a problem and give you all the reasons why the problem is bad, but not offer anything to do about it, um, okay. which is why we need other parts of this system. So we have other people who are really creative. So you've got these innovators who can come up with these great solutions, but they might not have the time or the resources to think about how to scale it or how to make it work at a district level or a state level, regional level, however you want you want to think about it. Um, and so therefore, you've got your orchestrators. These are people who have the skill sets to think about um, situating this change initiative and, and um, supporting this change initiative across lots of different uh, fields and stakeholders. And so um, when we consider sort of what, what it takes to be an agitator or an innovator or an orchestrator and then how they all play together, these are things that we'll, we can think about in terms of mathematics education, um, how we can develop these skills to then uh, support people in developing their own advocacy skills and and develop their understanding of what it means uh, to be an advocate.
and then just to give people some pre-reading. So those are some of the big things in the beginning that will launch the session. But uh, I'm going to be drawing on some works from people outside the field that I highly recommend people check out. So uh, one of them is Simon Sinek, which I'm sure people have seen yeah. uh, TED Talks and things, right? Love uh, but his book, <laughs> Start With Why, is a really good resource for this, yeah. which is really getting at like our having that's when we think about um, like from the the chapter uh, in your book here, the around being an advocate, uh, we talk about sort of getting that shared vision. So if we all understand why we're advocating for this um, this change in math education, why are we advocating for high quality mathematics for everybody? Um, that like this helps us kind of frame that work. Um, of course, I'm going to mention Chip and Dan Heath because I I. They're like my favorite, uh, but there's two books that are really helpful when we think about change and advocacy is, is made to stick and switch, uh, which I've, I've referenced both at uh, previous NCSM uh, sessions. Uh, a few other ones really quick is uh, Richard Thaler has a book called Nudge, which is about sort of making those initial steps into a change effort. Uh, Robert uh, Caldini has a book called Persuasion, which is about how we create the conditions to help people see the need to change. So when we think about persuading people, persuasion is what you do ahead of time to make sure that the conditions are right to, to make that change uh, work easier. And then one last one, Jonah Berger has a book called Contagious, uh, Why Things Catch On. And I think a big part of advocacy yeah. is messaging and getting your uh, your point across and helping people see the value in what you're, you're advocating. And Contagious kind of gets at sort of the psychology behind why people get excited about one movement over another. And we can use that when we think about uh, the kinds of changes we want to make in math education. We can build excitement about this across all stakeholders. And so I'll be leveraging the work of uh, a lot of these other researchers and thought leaders to support this session. So Mike, um, as you as I hear you speak and I think about your session, I get excited for the session. I think about as a leader attending this the, the summit, um, I think about all the things as a leader, I just, I don't know and how many more things I need to invest in, um, in myself. And the question I have for you is I think about leaders and I always feel like I'm a new leader, even though I'm rather old or so I've been told, um, what advice would you give a new leader about being an advocate? So my, I guess the first big advice I give to everybody, new leader, old leader, doesn't matter, is, um, advocacy begins with listening. So a lot of times when we think about, ad, so people often will will advocate for things they want, right? So if I want to change, I want math to be more student-centered and that's what I want. So if I go out into the world and I preach what I want, I'm not going to have a really receptive audience. So the way, the way to really be a good, strong advocate is to listen to your audience uh, that you're trying to change. What are their pain points? What's their concerns? Where are they coming from? Why do they feel the way they do about math education? So if we have, for example, people who think that tracking is really important and we should have high kids and low kids. I hate those terms, by the way, but let, yeah. let's just say that that's our audience and it's just room 500 people who all think high kids, low kids, that's the way we got to do. It. We got to track kids. We got to level them. And, um, the first thing I'm going to do is I want to figure out as much as I can about why they hold the beliefs they do. I want to try to understand the concerns they have. Um, because if I want to change them, if I want to be an advocate and influence and, and, and affect this change within this audience, 
I'm not going to do it by lecturing them. I'm not going to do it by presenting data of why I think that's wrong. What I'm going to try to do is to appeal to what their wants and desires are and help them see how the things that they're concerned about are actually alleviated with the model of detracking and the, the, the idea that we have um, the, the power of having a classroom with diverse learners who are bringing different perspectives of a math idea. And if I can weave in the their pain points and, and help them to see how what we're pushing for here is actually something that's going to address their concerns and it's going to support them. Uh, I'm going to get much further along with that audience than I am if I just try to just push it in and I get on my soapbox. And, and so I want to, uh, my first advice always is to be a good listener, understand your audience, and then spend some time before you even work with them to to figure out how you're gonna message that. How are you gonna craft your message in a way so that the audience will be receptive of it? So that that's right out of the gate, um, really, I think works across all, all levels of leadership and advocacy. Thanks, that's really helpful. And the message I hope to carry forward myself, thank you. Yeah, it made me think of um, a lot of the conversations I have around beliefs and the, the mindsets and changing what somebody believes right is it's part of their core is really difficult um so there's been a lot of conversations around developing your identity and really reframing your identity to build that mathematical agency so just a kind of our cl closing question for you here but you know what success stories have you experienced or seen in the work of advocacy, you know, either at a local level, at a national level, like what are some of those highlights, so to speak? Yeah, I'll share one. Uh, so there's a school district I've been working with for the last three years, I think is a model for, for this kind of uh, system-wide advocacy and change in math education. And, and, it's, and I wanna just say right out of the gate, it's not because of me. I, I, I'm fortunate to work with them. What, what you have here, the reason why this is a success is because there was internal um, leaders, advocates at different levels that saw the need for change and they, be, they began developing this really strong systemic movement to change math education. Um, when I got brought in, they've already started to think about the important pieces. Um, and my role was as the professional learning provider. So I provided sessions for them. But here's what works is that you have a curriculum. So I'll just name the school districts. I think they should get credit for this. Um, it's the Southwick Tallinn Granville School District out here in Massachusetts. But their curriculum director, coaches and administrators, including the superintendent, all wanted to make sure that every level of the system, um, teachers, paraprofessionals, special education teachers, parents, school board, administrators, everybody was part of this movement. Everybody would get professional learning based on their roles and get supported. And, and it's been ongoing. It's been a three-year project so far and ongoing still. Uh, but because uh, they've authentically allowed people to express concerns and questions, teachers have input at all levels. Um, everybody sort of their ideas, their cons everything's kind of put on the table and then validated and discussed and taken into account. And it's one of the first times I've really seen strong systemic change and it's working. You're seeing such differences in these classrooms. These teachers work so hard. Uh, everybody's invested in this work, but it's because you had these strong advocates who are, from, who are within the system 
putting the right pieces in place. You've got leadership that's behind it. They're at the sessions. They're sitting at the tables doing math. All of that works because there was that shared vision that was orchestrated mm -hmm. by people within the system who were strong advocates for it. They brought in the right kinds of support they needed and they everybody backs it. And I think that to me is such a a model for what good systemic change looks like. And it began with strong math advocacy. Yeah, um, what you just described is what I get to experience when I'm working with schools. Um, and what I love about it is it kind of bleeds into one of the other guiding principles, which is empower. Because what you're telling, what you're saying by being an advocate, you are also empowering those that you work with, either your peers, you know, the you're the leaders above you, the leaders like the north, south, east, west kind of um, paradigm mm -hmm. area, um, which I think is like you can't you can't just advocate. I think that's what you're saying. It's not just about going out there and saying, "Hey, do this." It's about empowering those that you work with, so that by building that shared vision, everybody is like, "Yes, this is something we can all do," um, yeah. which is just is a, it's an amazing to to be a part of that. And to me, that empowering is engaging, right? Um, and that, um, you know, something that resonates with me is that math leadership is not an individual or a position, but it's the engagement of every, each and every stakeholder, be it teacher, student, principal, parent, community. And um, I think sometimes, you know, we're so caught up in helping to make change that we, you know, miss that. So thank you for that. That really uh, gives me something to chew on for some time. Good. Yeah, and the book list. I already got a long stack. Now I'm just going to add more to it. <laughs> I got Christmas break, right? I'll, That's have a, I'll have a whole reference list for people, for attendees and stuff. So they'll have uh, plenty of uh, there you go. to do afterward. Yeah. There you go. All right. So thank you so much for your time today. I re we really appreciate it. And we are just so looking forward to April. Um, we know that we don't know what April's gonna look like in terms of if it's going to be in person, hybrid, virtual, just know that NCSM is working on it and we'll have something soon. Hopefully by the time this podcast gets published, like anybody who listens to this in January, you got a preview, like it could be hybrid, it could be all virtual, we're, we're, we're in the works, we're in the works, but all of our speakers are, are, are with us no matter which way we do it. So we're really looking forward to that. Oh, good. Yeah, thank me you too. And I just appreciate the opportunity to be part of it. So thank you for the invitation. You're very welcome. And thanks for spending time with us on uh, our second podcast, thinking about equity, leadership, and um, well, today, advocacy. So thank you, Mike, for taking time out of your tremendously business, busy schedule to uh, spend some time and share some, some ideas with our members. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you both very much. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM Leadership in Mathematics Education and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter at mathedleaders using the hashtag NCSMBold. Thanks again.